The White House has given up on its fight against controlling COVID-19, so welcome to March, I guess. A Disney Plus sequel to Hocus Pocus is in the works, and they have already put a spell on me. And Cal Penn is here to talk about his push to engage young voters on his show. Cal Penn approves this message. The date, October 26, 2020. The time, news o'clock. Hello, friends. I'm Hayes Brown. And I'm Casey Rackham. Welcome to BuzzFeed's News O'Clock. Casey, before we get into everything, I this is about space, but it's close space, so it's <laughs> less scary. Two studies have shown that there is likely more water on the moon than we thought, and I am fascinated. Oh, I, I am here for this. I'm excited. I love the moon. Right? Who doesn't love the moon? Everyone loves the moon. <laughs> like, and except you're one of those cranks who thinks the moon landing was faked. And if you're listening to this show and fall into that demographic, I have questions. <laughs> okay, my favorite thing is, okay, so I follow um, Gabrielle Korn on Twitter, and she is the editorial lead for Netflix's The Most, which is the queer channel they have on Netflix. Anyways, she tweeted, who amongst us will be brave enough to turn the moon water into skincare? <laughs> Oh my gosh. I think that's important because I want it. Bottle it up and put it on me, mm, baby. Mm. Late stage capitalism <laughs> removes wrinkles. Mm, delightful. Okay, uh, while we're waiting for that process to get underway, it's time for today's top stories. Here's what you need to know. The White House has, well, apparently given up on controlling COVID. White House Chief of Staff Mark Meadows explained to CNN's Jake Tapper on the show State of the Union that there's just nothing that can be done to stop its spread. We're not going to control the pandemic. We are going to control the fact that we get uh, vaccines, therapeutics, and other mitigation. Why aren't we going to get control of the because, pandemic? But because it is a contagious virus, just like the flu. Yeah, but why not make contag- efforts to contain it? Well, we are making efforts to contain it. By and, running and all over the country, not wearing a mask? Jake, that's what the we vice can, president's doing. We can get doing. into the back, back and forth. Let, let me just say this, is what we need to do is make sure that we have the proper mitigation factors, whether it's therapies or vaccines or treatments, to make sure that people don't die from this. Those comments come as cases spike in both the United States and Europe, with the U.S. hitting over 85,000 cases per day over the weekend. It's the highest daily record since the start of the pandemic. The comments also appear to provide a sort of cover for the Trump administration, which had an outbreak after Amy Coney Barrett's announcement in the Rose Garden, which turned into a super spreader event. The event likely resulted in President Trump's positive test. But there's potentially a second outbreak brewing in the White House. According to reports from the New York Times and other outlets, members of Vice President Mike Pence's inner circle, including his chief of staff, tested positive for COVID. Pence has continued to travel for Trump's re-election campaign. Meanwhile, both presidential candidates and their vice presidential picks got time on 60 Minutes this weekend, and spoiler alert, it did not go great for President Trump. Trump had been feuding with 60 Minutes host Leslie Stahl throughout the interview, so much so that he walked off mid-interview after she asked him about his social media presence. Excuse me, Leslie, you started with me. Your first statement was, are you ready for tough questions? Are you? That's no way to talk. It's no way to talk. Leslie, one, one second. At this point, one of our producers interrupted to advise about the time remaining in the interview. I think we have enough of an interview here, Hope. Okay, that's enough. Let's go. 
This was followed by Press Secretary Kayleigh McEnany handing Stahl a binder that she said contained President Trump's health care plan. But Stahl said it was actually filled with executive orders and congressional initiatives, but no actual plan. The rest of the interviews with Vice President Pence, former Vice President Joe Biden, and Senator Kamala Harris went as planned, with Biden responding to claims that he tried to expand the Supreme Court if elected. If elected, would you move to add more justices to the Supreme Court? If elected, what I will do is I'll put together a national commission of bipartisan commission of scholars, constitutional scholars, Democrats, Republicans, liberal, conservative. And I will uh, ask them to, over uh, 180 days, come back to me with recommendations as to how to uh, reform the court system because it's getting out of whack. Speaking of the Supreme Court, Amy Coney Barrett's confirmation has moved to the Senate floor, and Senate Republicans broke a Democratic filibuster during a procedural vote to advance her nomination and confirm her possibly by the end of tonight. Republicans needed a simple majority to beat the filibuster and got it with a 51-48 vote. Republicans Susan Collins and Lisa Murkowski voted no on the procedural vote, and Kamala Harris was absent because she's campaigning. Senate Majority Leader Mitch McConnell addressed the Republican side of the aisle about the importance of this nomination, knowing that most of the work they've done throughout Trump's presidency could be undone very quickly. We've made an important contribution to the future of this country. A lot of what we've done over the last four years will be undone sooner or later by the next election. They won't be able to do much about this for a long time to come. Barrett's confirmation would submit a 6-3 conservative majority on the court, and she could hear arguments for Texas v. California, the case to overturn Obamacare, on November 10th. Okay, Hayes, I want to talk about and hear your thoughts on this, because I saw this fact this morning that blew my mind, that in out of the last seven elections, Republicans have only won the popular vote once, but they've picked 15 of the last 19 Supreme Court justices. In, in an ideal world, it would be less, you know, a fight that will last the rest of our lives. Like, these are young people that Trump has nominated to the bench. Uh, Amy Coney Barrett is 48. Neil Gorsuch was uh, 50 when he was nominated. Brett Kavanaugh was 53. They're going to be there for a minute. Um, Yeah, they're going to be there for a while, and it stresses me out. Yeah, yeah. I don't know. Biden's answer on the Supreme Court was interesting. I actually published something this morning. I think that he should focus on term limits because there's going to be a lot of people pushing for an expansion of this of the bench and adding more justices just like yeah let's just have congress add four more seats to the supreme court and biden fills them his first year that's one option that could technically happen in the next like year or two if biden wins so it's going to be wild to watch this all play out yeah definitely all right casey what is going on in the world of pop culture well, uh, it just may be a Halloween miracle. Yes, those exist. Uh, it looks like the original cast of Hocus Pocus will be returning for a Disney Plus sequel after all. News broke over the weekend that Bette Midler, Sarah Jessica Parker, and Kathy and Jimmy will be reprising their iconic roles as the Sanderson sisters, with Midler saying, quote, they want to make a movie. They've asked us if we were interested. And of course, all of us said, yes, I'm game. I'm totally game. Rumors of a Hocus Pocus sequel have been floating around for years, most recently with the announcement of a TV movie in 2017 without any of the original cast, and thankfully it never happened. The trio of actors are also reunited for a faux documentary set to premiere this Friday titled In Search of the Sanderson Sisters. It's a ticketed virtual event set to raise money for the New York Restoration Project. 
Uh, I did not know about that latter thing in Search of the Sanderson Sisters. Yes. And I need to go look into this like ASAP to see uh-huh. like if there are tickets available. I'm guessing there aren't, but I'm really curious now. <laughs> I saw I saw some behind the scenes clips from it and it just look at, looks absolutely amazing. I think I have brought this up on the show before, but Sarah Jessica Parker as one of the Sanderson Sisters was one of my first crushes. <laughs> Don't blame you. Right there with you. I'm she was amazing. keep bringing it up anytime I can. <laughs> good, 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 good. I learned this recently, this little bit of Hocus Pocus trivia. Apparently in the first movie, that harness she had to wear for like the scene where she's singing yeah. to the children. Oh, yeah. Apparently it was so comfortable that she would just hang out in it in between <laughs> takes and be just like hanging up there reading the newspaper and chilling. And I have love that image in my mind. I love that so much. Oh, man, they were all just cast so perfectly. They're just like these three sisters who are just like a hot mess. <laughs> All right, and moving on. Um, he's yes. Dame Judy Dench is talking about the time she saved her pet goldfish by giving it mouth-to-mouth resuscitation. I'm not an ichthyologist, <laughs> but that sounds like not how you do that. But okay, please continue. <laughs> okay, so in an interview on the How to Wow podcast, Dench explains she found her goldfish floating upside down in the tank, saying, quote, I gave it the kiss of life. Dench says the goldfish not only made a full recovery, it grew to be six inches long. Dench also acknowledged, though, that is not actually how you perform CPR on a goldfish, since they actually respirate through their gills, but she's still convinced she saved the fish's life. And um, Dench now calls the fish Lazarus, even though it has very much since died. So much just happened in that minute when you were speaking, Casey. What? (laughs) That is all so much. Whose first thought is, I better give this goldfish mouth to mouth? Whose first thought? I know that that you know what? Hers. I guess she's just full of empathy. (laughs) And also fish mouth she's full of fish mouth now i know that just seems like a bad idea you know i i'm genuinely like whether she brought that fish back to life or not or uh, correct me if i'm wrong don't fish sometimes just like sleep and hang out upside down am i just making that up possibly again not an ichthyologist i made that very clear casey what if that's a lie my parents told me (laughs) (gasps) oh no i don't think i don't think they would have told me that lie though because i had goldfish and it just died and they were like it died so right. I think they would have been Fair. straightforward with me. All I know is... Unless they replaced the yeah. one that was sleeping without you realizing <laughs> it, but only when they got caught, they were like, no, that one's dead. All right, when we come back, we've got Cal Penn discussing his new show. Stay right there. Fit. We're tired of hearing new year, new you, fat burning secrets, and lose weight fast. The only thing you need to lose is self-doubt. The body you're in deserves respect, love, and support. Support you're not getting from your current sports bra. It's time to experience the only sports bra that actually does its job and outperforms the most popular brands on the market. It's time to feel real support from SheFit. Save $10 today at SheFit.com slash 2022. Have you ever felt depressed about work, only to have your dad be like, why are you so down? So you told him you hate your job, and he said, well, you better talk yourself out of it. And then you thought, hmm, I love to talk. I could host a podcast. And then you went to Spreaker from iHeart and started a podcast and got good at it, then monetized it, then quit your boring job, then told your dad, thanks for the advice. And he was like, well, that's not what I meant, and I don't understand what a podcast is, but you seem happy, so that's great, kiddo. You ever do that? Well, you could. 
at Spreaker.com. That's S-P-R-E-A-K-E-R. Ask your dad. You actually don't. The Gangster Chronicles podcast is a weekly conversation that revolves around the underworld. From criminals and entertainers to victims of crime and law enforcement, we cover all facets of the game. Gangster Chronicles podcast doesn't glorify or promote illicit activities. We just discuss the ramifications and repercussions of these activities. Because after all, if you play gangster games, you are ultimately rewarded with gangster prizes. Our Heart Radio is number one for podcasts, but don't take our word for it. Find the Gangster Chronicles podcast on the iHeartRadio app or wherever you get your podcast. Welcome back. We're a little more than a week out from the election. We've been seeing record numbers of early voter turnout across the country, and a lot of these people are young voters. Today, we're talking with a man who has spent a lot of time engaging with this super important demographic, both in the White House and on TV. Cal Penn is here with us to talk about his new show, Cal Penn Approves This Message. Good afternoon. Good afternoon. How are you? Great. Getting through it as we, you know, <laughs> yeah. run up to this election. So, yeah. talk to us about this show. Uh, you're targeting young voters in this age where it seems like everyone is headed to TikTok and other social media platforms to reach this demographic. So, why is it important to you that uh, we present this information in this format in a nonpartisan way? Yeah, sure. Look, all those all those platforms are great. I enjoy them myself. I think, unfortunately, sometimes we think that the only way to reach a certain audience is through shorter form content. And I think our, our view for the show is we don't feel the need to dumb anything down for our audience. We don't think that we need to placate them in any way. Uh, in fact, the opposite. So we wanted a, a show that highlights all these amazing things that younger voters and younger audiences are already doing. So my writing partner, Raman, and I came up with this idea for a show where we thought, well, what if we take the best of what we like about shows in this space? So it should be comedy forward, but we put in the things that are kind of missing. So a lot of shows, you know, the comedy comes from either being cynical or being polarizing or kind of making fun of somebody else. Don't get me wrong. I love that. I watched Borat three times this weekend, but for our show, we wanted it to be more unifying. And one of the best ways to do that was just sort of highlighting the great work that some of our younger guests who ended up coming on the show are already doing. So it's comedy first. I mean, they, they let me um, make a rap with a puppet about the Supreme court. Um, which is really just like tapping into the man child that I am. But, but that was, that was sort of our approach is like, we can be funny and silly without needing to talk down to somebody um, as well. So, uh, so that, that was the idea behind it It was, it's been fun, fun ride. The show divides each episode into a theme. I want to play a clip from the education episode. Some of us believe the world's richest, most powerful country should fund the education of its population. Some of us think the government should be far less involved. But as this debate plays out in the US, we gotta focus. Other countries are getting their citizens ready for these jobs of the future by investing in STEM, science, technology, engineering, and math. Look, to be fair, we're doing it too, but is it to the same extent? Less than 20% of 13 to 19 year olds are interested in STEM careers. That's not great, guys. Even coming out of your room to say hi to your parents' friends polls at like 23%. So how do you break down these topics for the younger generation and strike the balance of a conversational and informational tone? Some of these topics can be really complicated. Yeah, I, I mean, I'm glad you pulled up that clip in particular. I wasn't sure what you were going to play. It's uh, We start each episode by acknowledging that what we're presenting is just a small sliver of the overall picture. And the goal was always, you know, even though each episode 
has that broad title, right? Like Kalpin approves judicial nominations or Kalpin approves, uh, I can't remember what the climate change one was called, a healthy planet or something. Obviously, each actual topic is a micro-targeted topic. So the one about climate change is really about how young progressives and young evangelical conservatives are working together to tackle climate change, which you generally don't hear about or, or really think of. Um, the example that you just played, you know, we talk about the richest, most powerful country, and what's what's the role that we have? Because we're a nonpartisan show, you're not going to hear a lot of preaching or a lot of pushing for one particular thing. But that doesn't mean that we're pitting fact against opinion. I think that's one of the traps that a lot of people get into, especially or or you know, it's not a trap. Let's be fair. A lot of a lot of cable news does really well getting people to yell and scream at each other. They have really good ratings. That's not what I'm doing. Um, so for us, it was you, you never want to pit fact against opinion. So you do have to present that we do live in a, in a country where many of us believe it is the role of government to fund education, and other people don't believe that. Let's acknowledge that that's the world in which we exist, but then also acknowledge that the reality is, factually, other countries are investing in these things. So what, what's the world going to look like 40 years from now if we have kids or if our kids have kids? Um, what kind of jobs are they going to get into? Do those jobs even exist yet? And if they don't exist, are we preparing our society for those jobs? So it's really less about Democrat versus Republican and much more about who's working on these solutions and how does our vote or our civic engage, uh, engagement tie into that? Yeah, I, it feels like a lot of the time it's not a lot to be hopeful about right now, but this is a hopeful show. These kids are optimistic. They're open to change and civil discourse. And as a millennial, I remember feeling like that at that age. And then here we are. So how do we protect these children? How do we keep <laughs> them from becoming as screwed up as we are? Yeah, look, I mean, some of that is some of that was on us. I think we all, you know, our, our generation made certain choices that we're dealing with. I'm very hopeful. And that was one of the reasons why our show is geared towards this particular generation is the things that they're already doing are so incredible. They're not waiting around for an older generation to fix things. Um, instead, they're trying to come up with really innovative solutions to do that themselves. And to us, that was such an, a wonderful opportunity to highlight. It also makes the comedy stronger when we want to tell jokes and do jokey bits. Our last episode, our friend Andy Samberg does a sketch with me, and then uh, and then Jimmy Kimmel does like does a, a little cameo drop by. So it's like you know, heightening the comedy comes out of that positivity for us, and that really speaks to we don't get to do that because that's our vision for a generation. We do that because that's what this generation is already doing, and it gives us the opportunity. To, to give them a platform. What you're trying to accomplish with the show doesn't seem entirely dissimilar to what you did in the White House. The last two series you started were Designated Survivor, where you were also a political consultant, and Sunnyside, which you created about a struggling former NYC city councilman. What's the fascination with this realm of politics and public service? Great question. I think it's just coincidence, to be honest with you. Really? Yeah, de designated survivor. I actually, when when I got the offer for that job, I turned it down because I had just finished working on How I Met Your Mother, and that was my first job after working at the Real White House. And I thought people are going to be confused. They're going to think I'm working on a White House show just because I worked at the Real White House. And then I got the script. I'm like, oh, it's basically a conspiracy theory with Kiefer Sutherland. Yes, please. <laughs> Happy to do that. So it's like the, the analogy that I would give people is as if I was a real airline mechanic in real life for two years and then did an off-Broadway play where I was playing a flight attendant. Like, 
I would sort of know the world, but like, not really. <laughs> so could you see yourself leaving acting again to go back into politics? You know, I, I loved the two years that I had the chance to do that. I loved the public service and, and you know, I, I hope it doesn't sound trite. It really was an honor to serve our country. Acting will always be my first love. I love making people laugh. Um, and so right now that's what I'm focused on. But the whole point of a show like this, but also each of our experiences is that we live in a country where things are not mutually exclusive. If there's anything that the current generation that we're, that we're hitting up with the show has taught us is that that's the reality, right? You don't have to pick just one thing um, and you don't have to decide just one thing now. So I'm not going to say I'm ruling it out 20 years from now, but right now I am very happy acting uh, and, and doing my doing my comedy thing. All right, well, to shift gears a little bit, uh, it's been a really rough year for TV and streaming. We've seen a lot of cancellations due to the fallout of the pandemic. A lot of them have been shows focusing primarily on women or featuring diverse casts. You've said in the past you feel like American television is very diverse, even more so than the movies are. Are you worried about that changing? Yes and no. I mean, I, I think that has been a bit of a disturbing trend even before the pandemic. I'm curious to see the causation related to diversity in the pandemic and to see if there's something there besides just the clearly what the poster of the show looks like and and what's getting renewed and not getting renewed because i know a lot of times there's there are logistical challenges there are contract issues at play but no in our case look even even something like sunnyside you know was amazing it was the most diverse uh writers room i think at that point in in the history of tv uh I remain very proud of it, but I remember when we read in Ad Age after we got moved only to digital that, you know, NBC had really invested only a tiny fraction on marketing compared to its predominantly white new comedies. That kind of tells you they never really set it up for success. Um, obviously, we didn't have the numbers regardless, so I'm not trying to suggest that that was the only issue there. But it definitely plays a role, right? If people don't know about a particular show, if you're not marketing it the same way that you're marketing a predominantly white comedy, it doesn't add up. So I, I think that while the pandemic, like you mentioned, has made us all dig a little deeper on that, I also think there's maybe opportunity that can come out of that to say, what what are these stories? And look, it, even in real life, right, communities around the country are dealing with this and are impacted by the pandemic in so many different ways. Um, communities of color and folks who live below a certain income line, their day-to-day reality is so completely different from the rest of us. And I, I think there's going to be some storytelling that comes out of that, but also just real life and death stuff that I hope that we we don't ignore. Well, listeners, the finale of Cal Penn Approves This Message airs tomorrow night. Cal, thank you so much for joining us. Thank you. Nice to talk to you. Hope you like the show. Okay, we have time for one more thing. Neighbors can honestly be a toss-up. Some are good, some are bad, and some play the Gilligan's Island theme song at all hours because you're feuding over some fancy glass art? That's happening right now in Los Angeles as Bond King Bill Gross and tech entrepreneur Mark Tofik argue over a 22-foot glass installation by artist Dale Chihuly and the netting protecting it. This is actual audio from on the scene, so imagine this blaring at your house at 3 a.m. Surrender the end of
Pacific claims the sculpture and netting block his view, and his accused gross of, quote, harassment and intentional infliction of emotional distress. And Casey, what are these rich people problems? Ah! I read this story in the LA Times this morning, and it is truly one of the best things I've read. I was like, I was like eating up every single word. This checks out 100% of my knowledge of like LA Laguna Beach blocking their view because, you know, I guess, you know, they pay for this view or so they say. And I did look at the picture and the netting is, it does block a very gorgeous view. And so the whole reason they have the netting up is because like an act of mother nature, you know, something fell on it and it damage was like a hundred K to this piece that costs like a million dollars. And it's like, the piece is gorgeous. I love it. It doesn't really block the view as far as I could tell, but this netting is heinous. <laughs> I just, I, I don't know, man, maybe move your sculpture inside. I don't know what to tell you. <laughs> yeah. If a, if a palm tree is going to fall down and wreck it, it's like, yeah, you, you should move it. <laughs> It's made of glass, and I, I love Chihuly art. It's beautiful, etc. If I had the amount of money that they had, sure, maybe, question mark, probably spend it on something, not that. But uh, I, I gotta say, the fact that he's using psychological warfare in this just screams sitcom in a way that really makes Gilligan's Island theme fitting. Like, I can see uh, a, an episode, episode of Gilligan's Island in my head where, say, for example, the millionaire is really mad <laughs> that Thurston Howell III is really mad like something that like Marianne found wash ashore and set up is blocking his view yes exactly and so he gets the professor to build a, a record player out of a coconut to bombard her with music the, throughout the night that is a perfect episode of television. Wait, I also want to say one of my favorite things about this story is that, okay, so before Mark, the neighbor whose view is being blocked, could go to the court and like file anything against their neighbor playing Gilligan's Island on repeat, they found that um, Gross, Bill Gross had already gone and said that Mark Tofik is obsessed with him. Oh my gosh. For like putting cameras facing their area. And so they're in this endless battle and I do find it fascinating. So, you know, I only want the net to stay up so that I can read more articles about this. Move. What have you moved? <laughs> you have so much money. Why are you waiting? There's other areas with pretty views. Move. This is not worth either of your time. Quit swinging your financial dicks at each other and just move. <laughs> Oh, geez. Okay. Well, that's it for today. Be sure to join us tomorrow for whatever fun the world has in store for us. I'm sure it's going to be great, kids. <laughs> and remember, one day someone probably will invent Moonwater skincare, and I will be buying it. Be sure to subscribe to News O'Clock on the iHeartRadio app. Apple Podcasts, or wherever you go for your sound stories. And please take the time to leave us a rating and a review. It helps us figure out what you like about the show versus what you love about the show. And remember to set your alarm so you never miss an episode of News O'Clock. If dog people made dog food, it wouldn't be sold in a 50-pound bag in the hardware aisle by the shoe polish. It would actually be food. It would be made with real, fresh meat and veggies gently cooked to preserve their nutritional value. You know, like food. The Farmer's Dog was created by dog people who cook and deliver fresh, healthy food. Try the Farmer's Dog and get fresh, pre-portioned meals tailored to your dog's needs. Tell us about your dog, build your plan, and get 50% off at thefarmersdog.com slash listen. That's thefarmersdog.com slash listen. NFL fans, nothing compares to being there live. What a play! 
Now the crowd is alive. And the NFL's biggest season ever is now ready for the postseason. It's playoff time. We got to win. NFL playoff tickets are on sale now. Don't miss your chance to be a part of the postseason action on the road to Super Bowl 56. Visit NFL.com slash tickets for a complete listing of games. That's NFL.com slash tickets. For my small bookstore to thrive, I can't just sell books. So I created a radio ad at iHeartAdBuilder.com to tell everyone about our author events, our story hours for kids, and our amazing lattes. Now we're busier than ever. I'd call that a success story. A custom radio ad from iHeartAdBuilder is the fast, affordable way to drive customers to your business. Put the power of radio to work for you. Get started now at iHeartAdBuilder.com.